Dental school scratched the surface in so many different areas, including occlusion and splints. So it should come as no surprise to you that the grand Michigan splint that they taught you is the best ever may not be as great as you were taught. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, fellow dental geeks, and welcome to episode 40 of the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Now, this is the third one of September, and it's going to totally upset so many dentists. It's going to make you guys, some of you, very angry, very hurt, very upset, uh, and I make no apologies for it. You know, this needs to be out there, and uh, let's try and keep an open mind and learn, and maybe I'll learn something from you guys as well, from the backlash, but really, I've done my homework now, and I've come to a conclusion that Michigan splints are overrated. But before we go there, I'm going to share with you two Protrusive Dental Pearls, two brand new ones. And these were sent to me by the Protrusive Dental community. Thanks so much guys for listening and I want to put your stuff out there as well. So the first one is from my buddy Sim Singh. He's uh, from London uh, and his uh, Instagram handle is at Dr. Simba underscore. Now, Sim is a young dentist and what he's told me is that now that there's so much time available because of fallow time and uh, COVID-19 restrictions and whatnot, he's finding it so useful to call his patients after a tricky procedure or after an extraction and, and just asking how they are, you know, and giving them some advice and follow-up advice and telling them that, you know, if any issues, I'm always here for you. And he's found a massive value from this. And, and to be fair, it reminds me of uh, my first year out of dental school and I learned that lesson then as well. And it's such a great one. If you can, and if you have the time, call your patients and it adds such a massive personal touch and they will never ever forget and they'll love it. So that's a great little pearl from uh, Dr. Sim Manget. Uh, the next one is from my buddy Jake Garner in Derbyshire. His uh, Instagram handle is at Jake Garner Dentistry. Uh, Jake is, is a really good dentist. He's a good adhesive, adhesive dentistry. Uh, check out his um, Instagram profile. Uh, and his rubber dam tip is that when you're trying to get the perfectly spaced holes, he's found it very useful that if you have a study model of the patient that you're about to apply a rubber dam on, that you get a, a pen or a marker and you actually put the rubber dam over the study model and you sort of mark the middle of each tooth and then you punch your holes. Like that is extreme accuracy that you get from doing it that way and it's a great way to do it. Uh, the other way to do it actually is you can do it in the mouth. Like you can actually put the rubber dam on the teeth and then uh, put, uh, get your pen and mark the teeth with the pen while the rubber dam's just sort of, um, I guess, wrapped over the teeth uh, and then that gets you perfectly spaced holes which allows you to get a better seal, better inversion, less of the papilla sort of showing through sometimes. So these are two protrusive dental pearls shared for you by the community so thanks so much guys for sending those in. And if you remember in episode 39, the last episode, where I talked about a little bit about TMD and why it's not such a, a great thing to get into perhaps or the, a great term for that matter, uh, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Anish Dunna. Now, Anish is someone who also I've got to know through the podcast. And I love his drive and his passion for dentistry as well. Uh, it's great to connect with uh, like-minded dentists all over the world. Now, Anish also um, mentioned about adaptive capacity, uh, which is very much goes hand in hand with the weakest link theory I talked about in the last episode. So adaptive capacity is another way to explain why some patients end up getting symptoms and others don't. So 
For some people, all the insults and the trauma that the temporomandibular joint and the teeth and the PDL have, if it's below their adaptive capacity, they will unlikely, they are unlikely to get symptoms and problems. However, if, if the threshold is low or their adaptive capacity is, is low, if you like, then they're the ones who are more likely to get symptoms and problems. Uh, and that's a great sort of theory. It's only a theory. I and mean, the first time I, I heard of this theory was uh, from Dr. Chris Orr about seven years ago. And I just think it's a great way to look at things as well. So a great term, adaptive capacity. Thank you, Anish, for sending that one in. So Michigan splints, right? You think this is like the best splint ever. That's what dental school taught us. That's what the restorative department said is the gold standard. And to be absolutely fair, it's actually a pretty good splint, okay? So I know the, the title I have is quite provocative and anti-Michigan, but really, if I'm gonna be straight up with you, I'm gonna say it's a really good all-round splint. I just think it's overrated. There are some diagnoses which you might make, for example, myofascial, uh, or if you want to deprogram someone, I'll get into uh, all this in a bit deeper and deeper as the episode progresses, but really, there are better splints for certain functions than a Michigan, but the Michigan is a great all-round splint, and I'm not gonna poo-poo it just yet because there are some good points about it. I used to use Michigan appliances a lot, like loads, right? Uh, and then for the reasons that I'll go into a bit later in the episode, I've, I haven't stopped using them at all. I tend to use Michigan appliances when perhaps they've worn one already and they've worn through it and, and they were able to have good compliance with it and good results with it, and I'll remake them a Michigan splint or a Tanner appliance. Now, I tend to use Michigans nowadays for cases where I'm not 100% sure of the diagnosis. It's a bit tricky. There's some joint-related issues and some muscle-related issues, and perhaps the joint... Uh, may not be able to accept uh, load, and we'll go in. I'll go, you know, I'll go into that a bit more. And if I find that it's it's more of a slightly more of a joint-related issue than a muscle-related issue, uh, speaking globally, then I might be tempted to give a Michigan appliance in that case. So let's just start with the basics. What is a Michigan splint? Uh, it's an upper hard appliance. A lower one is called a Tanner appliance. It was uh, invented or designed in the University of Michigan. They were sort of doing some experiments on the different types of hard appliances and what kind of designs would, would come out on top. And they found that the Michigan splint as the design they came up with would be the best. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you what that design is basically. And a lot of you already know this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you guys to suck eggs. You guys are probably uh, very well versed in occlusion and splints already. That's why you listen to this podcast. But just for, for those students maybe or younger dentists who, who really didn't get the, those lectures at dental school, uh, a Michigan appliance is a hard appliance, okay? so. Top is Michigan, lower is a Tanner. It's a centric relation appliance, so it's built into centric relation. What that basically means is that when the patient bites together on the appliance, their jaw joint should be in centric relation. And if you want to learn more about that, listen to episode 20, uh, episode with Dr. Kushal Gadia, if, which, which is called, If You're Not in CR, You Will Die. It's a tongue-in-cheek title, but check that one now. We go into definitions of centric relation there. So basically, when you bite together, the condyle is in centric relation, and that's essentially what it means. But what it means for you, as a dentist providing that splint, is that it takes you a lot of time and care to adjust the splint to make sure that the when the teeth come or when the teeth and the splint come together, that the condyle is in centric relation. It's also a full coverage appliance, so it covers all the teeth. Uh, and when you bite together, you want pretty much all the teeth hitting. Uh, and when you go into any sort of excursion, left, right, or forward, you want 
anterior guidance uh, and it's basically all the principles of a minimal stress dentition. So basically you're creating this textbook occlusion which you would want to give in any sort of rehabilitation. You want to give you know, uh, shallow guidance on, on canines, posterior disclusion, um, equally shared loads, all the sort of stuff you want to do in a full mouth rehabilitation, you would give into this appliance. So it's almost like a reversible way of giving someone the perfect bite. I'm gonna talk about the mechanisms of action and how it actually works, but before we go there, let's talk about what you actually need to construct a Michigan or a Tanner appliance. Uh, basically, you need a impression of the upper and the lower, uh, or a digital scan, whatever you prefer. Now, I tend to take these in, if I'm taking impressions, I, take them, uh, I tend to take them in silicon. Uh, alginates, I just don't trust anymore, even with appliances. Uh, I used to know a technician who said, send me anything, it doesn't matter. But eventually, when you find that the odd case, uh, the appliance is fitting the model, but it's not fitting your patient, it's probably because the alginate distorted uh, and the model is not now an accurate representation of your patient. So really, just stick to PVS uh, or take digital scans. So you've got your uh, models. Uh, you need to take a centric relation bite. A centric relation bite. So whether you take it with wax or again with a silicon bite registration, it's up to you. But you need to give the laboratory that information. If you don't give them that information, then they're gonna just uh, make you an appliance that's in their MIP and then it just creates extra work for you when you're grinding away. So you wanna give them that centric relation bite. Now a really cool trick I can give you uh, when you're actually taking your bite record in centric relation or within centric relation within the arc of it is that if you can control the occlusal vertical dimension at which you record this bite record, if you record the OVD at where you want it. So for example, for a Michigan appliance, typically you want it 1.5 to 2 millimeters at the thinnest portion at least. So typically between the upper second molar and the lower second molar, you want at least one and a half to two millimeters. Because remember, you'd be grinding it away and you don't want to make it too thin. A lot of the times if you've seen failed Michigan appliances, you'll usually find perforations in this area. So you want to have that minimum thickness for strength. So when I do it, I tend to use a leaf gauge, okay? I dial it up and I put it in the front teeth and I sort of make sure that when the patient uh, grinds together, grinds forward, grinds back and squeezes, that the minimum space at the back is about 1.5 to two millimeters. And uh, once I've got that space, I do my centric relation bite at that required dimension. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. What that means then the magic of doing this is that when it gets transported to the laboratory and they mount it using a face bow, hopefully, a semi-adjustable articulator, they simply have to remove the bite record and build the appliance in that position. That way there is no error of uh, opening up or closing 
the, the, the articulator. So uh, the best way to explain that is that every time, because an articulator is not the mouth and the mouth is not an articulator. So if you have to raise the occlusal vertical dimension on an articulator, you're introducing a potential error. But if you can not raise or decrease or play around with the OVD at all, it gives you that little bit more accuracy, and I found this for sure. So that's a little trick I'll give you to record the centric relation bite record at your, or thereabouts, your desired vertical dimension. Now, I mentioned using a leaf gauge. Uh, typically, another way to do this is, is to use a lucid jig, which is uh, made of uh, acrylic, for example. Something like Duralay uh, can be used to, to make one, or even some snap or trim acrylic uh, around the front teeth. And when the patient bites together, there's back teeth separated and they can slide around and you can hopefully deprogram them while they're in the chair and, and get their centric relation record. So I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's almost impossible in, in a podcast to do that, but uh, you recorded your centric relation bite, you've got your scans or your impressions, you've sent that. And as I already mentioned, a face bow is ideal. Now, have I made a Michigan splint before without a face bow? Yes, I have. Uh, and do you really, really, really need one? Well, you have to ask, what does a face bow do? And I think this could easily have its own episode, but essentially, to put it down really, really simply, it's to, to re um, relate your maxillary cast. So once you've got your model, uh, is to relate that model to the hinge axis. Uh, and really what this means is that if someone has like the, the maxilla, that's off to a cant. And if you don't send a face bow, and they just put it on an average value articulator, they're, they're gonna to struggle to transfer that cant, for example, the maxillary cant, to the articulator. And when you get an appliance back, you might find that it's hitting on one side and not the other. So you can still make one without a face bow, but hopefully, if you've done your face bow correctly, that it'll, it'll give you more detail for your patient compared to an average value articulator, because now it's on a semi-adjustable articulator, and this will hopefully translate into save time. Uh, whether or not this actually translates to save time or not, I'm not sure if there is a study that's been done comparing a Michigan appliance and how long it takes to equilibrate with and without a Facebook. If anyone knows of one, that's a really cool idea. Please send it to me. But really, if you want to give your technician as much, much as possible, uh, they will use your Facebook to to actually mount the uh, casts or models on the semi-adjustable articulator and hopefully that will give a more accurate representation of what's happening uh, in your patient. Although we know already that articulators generally are nowhere near as what's said that the best articulator is the TMJ in the mouth. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. So in an ideal world, if you're gonna make a Michigan Rattana, it would be a good idea if you have one available to send a Facebook transfer. Now, I'm just like 10 or 15 minutes into this episode and I'm already kind of like regretting it because I'm thinking, are you guys able to follow what I'm saying? Now, for those of you who are very experienced and been in loads of occlusion courses, you guys will hopefully be able to follow me, but I'm very mindful that a lot of this stuff, people, I don't like to listen to as much because it's a bit too heavy. So stick with me. Um, if you don't understand anything, please message me uh, or I'll recommend some uh, recommended reading or I'll make some more episodes that really go down into the basics. For example, I can totally do one about face bows all day long, the different types and stuff. But just follow me now uh, and I'm sorry if I'm losing you. So how does a Michigan splint work? So now you've sent all your records, records to the lab. They've sent you back an appliance. You're going to give it to your patient. But how does it actually work? Well, I've told you already, it's going to create a minimal stress dentition. It's going to create the ideal occlusion 
within an acrylic appliance, so you're not having to do all this work in a patient's mouth. So this is all reversible in the form of a splint. And really it goes into the principles of biomechanics, right? If you get the patient into anterior guidance in all excursions, then that's the furthest away from the temporomandibular joint hinge. Uh, and because it's a further away, it's that whole nutcracker analogy again, the forces are lower and also the anterior temporalized muscle switches off when you're grinding on the front, especially when, you're, when you get to incisors. By then, the, the muscle activity is uh, significantly reduced and you're furthest away from your nutcracker forces from the TMJ hinge, so the whole lever concept. So that's basically how uh, the main bulk of it works. So when you bite together, everything is shared. When you clench, it's generally shared. Uh, and on excursions, it's all at the front, not at the back, to keep the muscles calm. So why do you want even contacts? Now, it's, it's fairly uh, self-explanatory, right? But the way my mind works is that I always think about, okay, what if an appliance wasn't even contact. And I think once you understand this, it really uh, drives home exactly the role of a Michigan. So for example, imagine I made you an appliance and it was uh, an upper Michigan, except I got my acrylic burr and I cut it right in half. So let's say now you're wearing a right-sided Michigan appliance uh, and nothing on the left. So that you're not, you don't have anything between your left and side teeth. So now when you bite together, and you've got equal contact on the right side and nothing biting on the right side, picture this. What happens when you clench your teeth together up against the splint, okay? So your muscles contract. Uh, when your muscles contract, your teeth crash into the splint, uh, and uh, the splint then causes the, the, the PDL of the teeth to compress, because now your teeth are now absorbing the load. And as you, um, as you contract, 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 as you bite, 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 then the temporomandibular uh, joint or the condyle give also gives some degree of load to the glenoid fossa area, or hopefully, if you've got a healthy um, disc, through the disc, and hopefully through the middle part of the disc. Now that's all happening on the right side where you have the splint. What's happening on the other side where you don't have a splint? Well, you don't have the teeth and PDL to absorb any, any of the load, and your muscles are going hard. So what happens is that the condyle is really soaking up all the pressure up against the disc, and what if the disc, I'm just speaking hypothetically here to help you understand, what if the disc gets squeezed out? Or what if you're, you're doing some degree of trauma to your temporomandibular joint? So if, you're, if you haven't got balance, think about what's happening in each of your joints. There's a lot of pressure potentially building up on the left side as the muscles are driving that condyle up and all the force is going up into your temp temporomandibular joint uh, and not into the teeth and not into the PDL. That's the theory. And of course, the reason why we want posterior disclusion is that it switches off the muscles, we want anterior guidance, and we prevent uh, the back teeth taking lateral forces. We don't want our back teeth to take lateral forces. Back teeth are designed for sort of, uh, um, to take stress down the long axis. So it prevents that and it hopefully prevents cusp fractures uh, and, and, and stress down cuspal incline. So that's the idea. You want to keep your back teeth out of it during, during any excursions. Are you following me so far? I really hope so, because the next bit, it gets a little bit more complicated, right? So there's a, a muscle called the lateral pterygoid, and hopefully that will be relaxed. So the idea of the Michigan uh, and a lot of the splints is that it will relax the lateral pterygoid muscles. 
Okay, so I'm gonna try and keep this really basic with the lateral pterygoid muscle because it can get really complex. And you know, like I said, in a podcast version, uh, without any videos or, or dissections and whatnot, there's very limited stuff I can share. But lateral pterygoid muscle is basically a super muscle. At a basic level, its functions are to help you open your mouth, uh, help you to protrude your jaw forwards, for example, and also to wiggle your jaw or, ex or go into excursions left and right. And, and the way that works is that when one or maybe the right side uh, lateral pterygoid contracts, uh, then you, your jaw will go to the right. And if the left one contracts and the other one doesn't, your jaw will go to the left. So that's generally how it works with the lateral pterygoid. Now, here's the cool bit when it comes to why us occlusion fanatics uh, care and know about the lateral pterygoid so much and why it's such an important super muscle is because of this, right? Remember in dental school when they told us that 90 plus percent of us, we do not have our MIP being equal to our centric relation contact point. Now, there's so many different terms for all this. And this is why occlusion can get so confusing, right? Like there's terminologies that are always involving. For example, centric occlusion used to mean your maximum intercostal position, but then the definition changed and uh, centric occlusion actually now means your first point of contact, which I just referred to as a centric relation contact point. So no wonder people uh, are get confused with occlusion because of changing uh, terminologies constantly. So 90% of us are MIP and our centric relation contact point is not the same. So 90 plus percentage of us have a slide. So we all, or 90% of us have a slide from our centric relation contact point. So when your condyle is within the arc of centric relation and we bring our, um, or if you close our mandible within centric relation, eventually the first teeth to hit will be your centric relation contact point, And then your teeth will slide into your maximum intercostal position. And this slide could be horizontal, it could be vertical, it could be a little bit of both. Uh, and essentially we all have a slide or most of us have a slide. So why is it? that every time you close your teeth together and bring your teeth together, that you don't hit this uh, CRCP first and then sort of slide in to your MIP. Why is it that we can, almost predictably, when we close our teeth together, we have this muscle memory that um, our teeth will meet together as they should and we're not sort of clattering on these interferences or cusple inclines before we reach where our teeth uh, like to meet together. There's a reason for this, and that reason is the lateral pterygoid muscle. It remembers. It has these muscle engrams, if you like, that's almost programmed to take you to your MIP. Hence why the term deprogramming. If you're deprogramming someone, essentially you've achieved deprogramming if you've relaxed their lateral pterygoid. And what this means to you and me is you forget how you bite together. So if you've ever had an experience where maybe you've been scuba diving uh, and after you come back up from scuba diving, uh, you bring your teeth together and you've hit somewhere in the back uh, and it feels funny, feels weird. And then you sort of bite together a bit more and suddenly, oh, here I am, I'm biting in MIP again. That's your uh, lateral pterygoid deprogrammed and then reprogrammed, if you like. So that's why the lateral pterygoid is such an important muscle in terms of uh, occlusion, power function, splints, restorative, all that sort of stuff. So bringing it back to the Michigan appliance, it is potentially a deprogramming appliance as well. So that 
because we build it into centric relation and we follow up and we adjust the splint, we hope that the, when the patient bites together, that they are in their arc of centric relation uh, and their condyle is uh, in its most comfortable snug position. And at that point, that's when we have equal distribution of load and uh, everything is in centric relation or in uh, RCP for a very old term as well. So that's how the appliance works as well because it's built in centric relation. And therefore, your lateral pterygoid would have deprogrammed or relaxed with this appliance as well. But this is not the best appliance to deprogram. Like if you want to just deprogram someone, I think it's a terrible appliance if that's your main function. There are so many more efficient ways to deprogram someone than giving them a full coverage, hard, thick appliance to wear and to see them for several appointments and to grind and, and, and as their muscle relaxes, you keep grinding and eventually you get to your endpoint. It's not a efficient way to do it. And just quickly, the way to think about it is that because you have this uh, plastic, this flat plastic at the back, uh, in between, uh, getting in the way of your bite, if you like, eventually, once you wear it, your muscles do forget, your lateral pterygoid relaxes, and eventually, as your lateral pterygoid relaxes, uh, it actually lengthens, and as it lengthens, your condyle is actually going back into the glenoid fossa and reaching that magical centric relation position, uh, and as you keep adjusting it, everything is now even, so that that's how uh, the appliance works. Your teeth essentially forget it has tricked or fooled your lateral pterygoid muscle. So to recap, it's to create your ideal perfect occlusion in acrylic and also at the same time to deprogram de your muscles, uh, namely the lateral pterygoids, so that everything is now uh, relaxed and everything is evenly distributed with the correct anterior guidance in place. So again, the minimally stressed dentition. That's the idea of the Michigan appliance for the top or the Tanner appliance for the lower. It is a great all-round splint and it's uh, very useful in a lot of scenarios, especially when I'm unsure of the diagnosis and it's the safest one that you can give. Like if you're not sure and if you want something to work, give them a Michigan, give them a Tanner. Uh, a lot of the diagnoses do respond well to a Michigan or Tanner, but there are some major drawbacks which I'm gonna go into now. So there's a reason why I've got some beef with the Michigan or I've got a problem with the Tanner, and I'm gonna go into that now. And you'll learn why I think it is an overrated appliance. Number one, so the number one reason why I think the Michigan appliance is overrated is because how many dentists are actually doing it properly? Like, if you're gonna do a Michigan, or if you're gonna do a Tanner, do it properly. Like do it all properly, textbook, equilibrate it. Spend those hours equilibrating, verify, follow up your patient, bring them in again, check that when they bite together, they are in centric relation or within the arc of a CR and that they continually have even contacts and they have a degree of freedom in centric. And again, I'll go into that in, in some other episode and they have the perfect shallow canine guidance that's enough to disclude the posterior. How many appliances have you seen which are actually calibrated properly? Because I've seen loads that are just plug and play, i.e., hey, I'm giving you a Michigan splint, here it is, wear it, goodbye. No care and attention has been given, and there's a reason for this, right? There's a reason why a dentist might not equilibrate a Michigan or a Tanner properly because of money. Okay? It takes time. Uh, and if you don't have the communication skills to bring that value to the patient of why you need to spend a few hours and, and lots of money. Now let's, let's talk about money, right? 
When I charge for a Michigan Splint, I'm typically in the seven to 900 pound region, sometimes more, depending on the case, because uh, I have an idea of which cases might be tricky and I might need more time and more adjustments and more follow-up, and which won't be. And some of my colleagues, some of my very esteemed colleagues, colleagues charge around about 2,000 pounds. So uh, you can do the conversions if you're elsewhere in the world. This is, when done properly, an expensive appliance because it uses up lots of chair time and lots of expertise to get it perfectly equilibrated. So because of the fee being so high, that a lot of patients won't accept it, so the dentists sort of uh, do a quick job, if you like, uh, and, and give an appliance that, which really isn't, I mean, they call it a Michigan or a Tanner, it's just a hard, flat appliance or uh, a hard appliance with a ramp, but not built in centric relation. And there are some disadvantages of, of making an appliance not in centric relation, which I'm gonna hopefully go into in one of the episodes soon. But basically, the one, number one beef I have with these appliances that most of them that I've seen uh, and from what I hear of are not equilibrated properly for that reason. Oh, and by the way, I almost forgot to mention, you know that rule that we have as dentists that whatever your technician's or laboratory fee is, you multiply it by a factor of three, four or five, and that should be your fee to the patient? That's absolute rubbish, okay? Because it completely throws out the bus your hourly rate. So you should charge not by this random rule that's been made, okay? Yes, for some things it'll work, but really you have to think long and hard about your hourly rate. And you could be making a massive loss if you're doing Michigan splints and you're sp putting in the time, effort, and care to give them the best appliance. And if you're not charging appropriately, Respecting your hourly rate is very, very important, so bear that in mind. Number two reason of why Michigan splints are overrated, okay? It's a big one, okay? And it's one of the reasons where I noticed and I moved away and I started to really seek some answers. I wanted to know, are there any better or uh, more suited appliances to achieve what I wanted to achieve to protect my patients from the force of power function than a Michigan and its compliance, okay? I've told you already in previous episodes, I've been embarrassed before when I've made someone an appliance and I've spent a good few hours to adjust it and then six months later when they come back, the patient's embarrassed because they're not wearing it and I'm embarrassed because I feel terrible that I put them through that entire process and charged them a good uh, amount of money and they just weren't able to wear it because you know, it's not a comfortable appliance to wear. It's full coverage, it's hard, it covers all your teeth uh, and it's thick. It's not a sexy appliance, none of them are to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, if you have one yourself, you should be able to appreciate that. I mean, I had one made for myself because uh, I wanted to sort of experience what it was like. And it's, it's not great, you know, it's not fun, it's not sexy. Compliance is a major issue. And uh, going back to uh, a couple of episodes when I talked about which is the best splint, remember the G splint is the splint which is best suited for your patient's diagnosis. So uh, compliance is a massive issue. So who, is gonna comply the best. The patient that will comply the best is the one who spent a lot of money with you to do a rehabilitation and you've told them at the end that if you want to not have to uh, repeat this process of a full mouth rehabilitation again, you must wear this splint and you give a medication to them, uh, they might wear it, okay? Because they've just been through the pain of uh, maybe a year and a half, two years worth of dentistry, lots of units, uh, several thousands of uh, dollars and pounds, uh, and then at the end of it, they think, yes, I better wear this if I want to uh, avoid um, having a rehab again or my uh, restoration is fracturing, right? So they might wear it. Or the chronic pain patient. 
and this chronic pain patient who you, you feel that the Michigan is the best appliance for them, they wear it, and then they start to see some therapeutic effect and they're out of pain, wow, they will love it and they are the ones who will wear it for life or as and when they need to. So those are two groups of patients where you might see good compliance. But how about most of our patients who are asymptomatic uh, and you had already a difficult time convincing them that they have a parafunctional issue and that they're grinding their teeth and they, and they had no idea about this. And now you're gonna get them to wear this Michigan appliance, which I've told you already is so bulky. Yeah, good luck with that. This is why compliance is so poor. We're giving it to asymptomatic patients who may not be 100% convinced and their why is not big enough. So let's recap so far. Number one was it's time consuming and expensive to equilibrate it. Number two was compliance. Uh, number three is to do with clenching, okay? If you have a patient who's a primary clencher and you give them a Michigan, how is that gonna help them? Yes, it might help their jaw joint some degree, but if they're a headache patient, if they're a myofascial patient, and you give them a Michigan, and they're able to clench really efficiently, and hey, they have something between their back teeth, between their second molars, and remember the nutcracker analogy, you've got something right at the back of that nutcracker, really uh, amplifying the forces, and the muscles going to overdrive, then that's not great, right? Maybe your clenching patients uh, is not the ideal patient to have a Michigan. Uh, maybe they are the ones that should be having a different type of appliance. So the patients who clench, this is not the perfect appliance. It may not give them any therapeutic benefit if their main issue is myofascial or muscular related. And why would you want to increase the efficiency of clenching? Now, we talked about a few episodes uh, with Dr. Andy Toy about the posterior guided occlusion or the PGO splint. Like, if there was a reason that you wanted to increase their clenching intensity, look for that splint. Uh, Michigans are neither here nor there, and really for primary clenchers, it's, it's really not indicated. And actually, those are the patients I'm convinced that it's the primary clenchers who come in and the back of their appliance has fractured, right? If it's only about a millimeter half thin around the back, then they can come, you know, they can clench right through that. So your primary clenchers is another reason why Michigan appliance is overrated. You've got to get your diagnosis right. Okay, guys, we're almost at the end of, of these disadvantages of the Michigan appliance, and you're going to love this one. This one's going to blow your mind. It blew my mind when I started to reflect on this, okay? So the fourth disadvantage uh, of a Michigan appliance is the following, right? When you provide your patient with the care and the time to calibrate the splint, Bear in mind that most or all of the adjustments are happening when the patient's lying down, which makes sense, right? Because obviously they're gonna be wearing it when they're sleeping, usually, uh, and you wanna recreate that. So all of the adjustments are done when the patient's supine and laying down. Now, what about you? When you're sleeping, what position do you sleep in? Do you sleep perfectly on your back? Some of you might. Do you stay like that the whole night? Do this little trick for me. Bring your teeth together. Bite together. I probably shouldn't speak while holding my teeth together. But anyway, bring your teeth together, right? And now what I want you to do is, as your teeth are together, I want you to tilt your head to the right. Okay? If you tilt it, right? So now just, bear, just, just sort of focus in on which teeth are contacting, right? And now head back to the middle. And now uh, tilt your head to the left. And head back to the middle. And now tilt your head forwards all the way back, stretch up, okay, and back to the middle. 97% of you will realize that actually 
your, the way that your teeth were meeting together was different every time, right? So isn't it funny that we make this appliance when the patient's laying down and you know, people sleep in funny different ways, right? They do funny things with their necks and pillows and they might be sleeping on their hand, you know, whatever. They might be doing these funny things. So how do we know that all of these adjustments and all these sort of uh, things that we're doing while the patient's laying down in the chair is actually translating to how they sleep? Um, isn't it funny when you think of it that way? Now, I don't know how much truth there is in this argument that I'm making, but it just gives you some food for thought, right? Because the other way to spin it is that actually it doesn't matter which position they sleep in because uh, when they're clenching grinding, all the muscles sort of contract and stabilize everything and it really is irrelevant because the muscles win. That is a, a suitable argument and I take that point, but it's just some food for thought. We adjust the appliance when the patient is laying down, but what happens when they sleep? They, they may be sleeping in funny different positions, which may negate or delete all the hard work uh, of what the appliance is supposed to do for your patient. Guys, you finally made it to the end. Well done. That was a really, really heavy episode and I really appreciate that you listened all the way to the end. Uh, and I'm gonna conclude by saying that actually, the Michigan appliance or the, the Tanner for the lower is a great all-round appliance, but it has some massive disadvantages and it may not be the best appliance. Uh, it's good for when you're not sure if it's a joint or a muscle issue and you wanna sort of cover all bases, but really if it's a primary muscle issue uh, or it's an asymptomatic patient, or if it's someone who you just want to prevent their teeth wearing away anymore, then really there might be some better appliances that you could consider. And that's exactly what we're gonna talk about in the next episode. Join me as we talk about anterior midpoint stop appliances and the various other types of appliances there are as we go deep into that as well. Now, in the nature of this podcast, I, saw, I feel as though I went deep into it and I hope you gained some value from that, but there's so, so much more I have to offer about this appliance. So I'm gonna try and, if there's enough demand, I can go into a bit more about, you know, face bows or whatever. But I hope that gave you a good general overview of the functions of a Michigan or a Tanner and why they have a place in dentistry, but really they are an overrated appliance and they're not as awesome as they told you they were in dental school.